Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode of Practical AI is brought to you by Hired. One thing people hate doing is searching for a new job. It's so painful to search through open positions on every job board under the sun. The process to find a new job is such a mess. If only there was an easier way. Well, I'm here to tell you there is. Our friends at Hired have made it so that companies send you offers with salary, benefits, and even equity up front. All you have to do is answer a few questions to showcase who you are and what type of job you're looking for. They work with more than 6,000 companies from startups to large publicly traded companies in 14 major tech hubs in North America and Europe. You get to see all of your interview requests. You can accept, reject, or make changes to their offer even before you talk with anyone. And it's totally free. This isn't going to cost you anything. It's not like you have to go there and spend money to get this opportunity. And if you get a job through Hired, they're even going to give you a bonus. Normally it's $300, but because you're a listener of Practical AI, it's $600 instead. Even if you're not looking for a job, you can refer a friend and hire will send you a check for $1,337 when they accept the job. As you can see, Hire makes it too easy. Get started at Hire.com slash Practical AI. Welcome to Practical AI, a weekly podcast about making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. This is where conversations around AI, machine learning, and data science happen. Join the community and Slack with us around various topics of the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Practical AI FM. And now onto the show. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Daniel Whitenack. I'm joined by my co-host here, Chris Benson. And today we're going to do another one of our news and update shows for you and just kind of update you on some of the, the goings on in the AI community, some things that, that have caught our attention this week. And then also we're going to give you some more learning resources. Again, we're trying to make AI practical for you. So getting some of those learning resources out, I think, is is uh, super useful and I know I've already appreciated getting some of those links from from Chris. So I'll kind of start us out this week. Is that all right, Chris? Absolutely. Go for it, Daniel. Awesome. Well, I saw a couple things for you guys out there that like, um, you know, maybe Kaggle challenges or other challenges and that sort of thing. There were a couple of challenges or, or RFPs that drew my attention this week. The first is this AI for Earth request for proposals from National Geographic. Um, so first of all, it was it was interesting to me that National Geographic was putting out a request for proposals related to AI, which I think is super cool. But also it's a big passion for me in terms of sustainability and, and the environment. Um, and I've really been interested to see it, more applications of AI in this space. So if you're at all interested in you know the environment and uh, using AI for good in that sense, definitely check out this link. Um, I think you have until maybe October to submit proposals. And, um, you know, uh, it says that the, the proposals will get you, I think, request up to 200 grand, maybe if you're 
uh, part of a research organization or maybe you're a grad student or something might be a good uh, good link for you. The other one is Intel AI is putting on this AI interplanetary challenge, which sounds pretty epic. And, you know, the subheading is super explorer mission, which, you know, there's a lot of great, <laughs> great words there. But essentially, uh, in my understanding, this is a, a way to kind of solicit proposals for space related applications of AI. And uh, I think if you win, then you get lunch with Bill Nye and some other people. So this, this is a super fun one and maybe maybe less of a um, of a barrier than the National Geographic one in terms of expectations. But um, I think this is uh, this one would be a good one for everyone to to explore. Um, so, yeah, those those were pretty cool. I, I'm, I was pretty excited to see both of those. So I ran across a, an article in Neuroscience News uh, entitled, Artificial Intelligence Can Predict Your Personality by Simply Tracking Your Eyes. Um, and that caught uh -oh. my attention. I know, I know that caught my attention because, you know, going back to past conversations, you know, how, how kind of invasive AI could become in certain use cases. So um, I read that and there's a uh, university, it's the University of South Australia had done this uh, process where they had 42 people uh, that participated in this and they gave them personality surveys. And apparently it was one of the standard and I'm not familiar with them, but one of the standard personality surveys that kind of covers all aspects and then they uh, they actually had them they they monitored their eye movements not in a lab but they apparently wanted a device and uh, and went around through their daily lives and it ended up tying together the way you use your eyes and the types of movements that you have with your personality uh, and, and and how you might, you know, behave on, you know, in certain scenarios compared to other people, which is a little bit creepy. You know, we were talking about the uh, in the Agreed. last in the last news, <laughs> the last news episode, we talked about, you know, the law enforcement or government monitoring, you know, using using different types of AI techniques. And, and so this this caught that morbid fascination for me in terms of, of that thought. So it was it was very interesting. They 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 didn't take it farther than that. Maybe fortunately, um, I got to the end of the article and kind of wiped my brow in relief. But um, but I just thought I'd pass that on. We can put the link in the show notes um, in the interesting but slightly creepy category. Yes, uh, definitely in that category. <laughs> I, it, it's funny to me because now it's like, uh, well, we can't use Facebook data anymore post uh, Cambridge Analytica and GDPR and all that stuff. But uh, Maybe there's hope for the uh, the creepy personality detectors out there using uh, webcam data or uh, something like that. That that's uh, uh, pretty pretty interesting, though I have to say. So the uh, the next the next one that I found is uh, it was a Fast Company article, and I think this is just like awesome. You know, I have a passion for applying AI to, to good. And this article uh, highlights this, what they call creative coder. I, I actually don't know his, um, his association. Um, I think he, this was kind of a hobby project for him. Correct me if I'm wrong in, in our community on, on Slack, but um, his name's Abhishek Singh. So uh, sorry if I, if I pronounced that wrong, but he basically built a sign language interface to the Amazon Alexa API or the Amazon Alexa, I should say. Um, so uh, I think this is awesome. It's, you know, making 
this tech accessible to a whole nother community that was, you know, totally um, left out of that technology before. So he, he basically has this set up to where, you know, it will actually um, there's a camera that's, that's watching you do sign language and you can sign language something. It's interpreted to text, which I think is sent to Alexa and their, via their API and, and then you get the response. So this is, I think, just super cool. I, I mean, not even in the realm of uh, smart speakers, but in the realm of, you know, making uh, more tech like this uh, accessible to people with with disabilities like like us, uh, uh, you know, maybe they're deaf or uh, they need to use sign language. I know that there's been other AI applied in a similar fashion for like blind parents, helping them understand their environment for for maybe they're seeing kids. And so I'm, I just think this stuff in this uh, category is super useful and um, just an encouragement from my end to any of you out there who are kind of exploring how to apply AI and, and how you, uh, what projects you might um, work on. I encourage you at least consider doing something, you know, in this realm, if there if there's a way for you to do it and there's time for you to do it, it's it's awesome to see this. I, first of all, I love that application of it. It's it's a it's a fairly obvious one, but does so much good. And and I think there are so many other opportunities uh, for for similar applications, whether it be Alexa or on other platforms. Um, and and in general, I, I definitely join with you on the aspiration of using these tools in AI to do good. I am actively looking at using. Um, uh, AI for animal advocacy causes that I'm so passionate about. And so maybe in a future episode, we can talk a little bit about how we how we get into that as uh, in terms of our own aspirations for for AI plus good. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll have to arrange a uh, a Twitch stream where we uh, live code some <laughs> some examples. Excellent. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I, um, one of the things that I have been talking about a lot with people lately is how AI is impacting digital transformation and it's changed the nature of it. And that is, seems to be becoming a, a more and more popular thing for people to try to understand the implications of. And I ran across a Forbes article that's, uh, entitled, think, you know, how disruptive artificial intelligence is think again. And, and the, the basic idea there is they're kind of saying, you know, People talk about job displacement and automation and stuff like that, but that really the effect of AI over time uh, is is really going to be driving you know digital transformation throughout organizations. And so they kind of finish up with the idea of it's not about a job; it's it's about how an entire business is set up and and how it achieves its function and how it serves its customers. Um, and they describe it as digital transformation 2.0, rise of the fully automated business. And beyond the article itself, I just find this a really fascinating topic. Um, and not only in the way it, it reshapes technology, but in the way that it's reshaping business itself. And, you know, some jobs are automated away, but new totally new jobs that we're seeing come into existence are coming in and that as you are combining these technologies with the humans that make up this business, how do you organize uh, all that together going forward to best serve the customer need? Um, and so I, I'm seeing more and more of these types of articles and probably will continue to share some, but I, I think the, the, the intrinsic change that business is, is now entering will be a pretty interesting topic for us for some time to come. 
Yeah, that's that's great. And uh, I am I am thinking about I, I know next week we're going to have Mike Bugembe join us, who I've talked to before about how he, you know, kind of changed, uh, you know, uh, in, in essence, a lot of uh, his company's perception around uh, how decisions are made and, and thinking about that in terms of data and, and in this whole new realm of, of artificial intelligence and, and algorithms. And so I'm excited to hear his perspective on some of those things and, and think that will, be, that will be really good. That'll be a great conversation. Yeah, the the last uh, the last one that I wanted to draw people's attention to was this article uh, titled "The Mythos of Model Interpretability." Um, I know I've talked to a lot of different people, and we've even talked on this show um, before. Uh, I think with the the guests from Amuta about you know what really is model interpretability. I think there's a lot of people that are s- skeptical about this idea of model interpretability, but I think that this article um, really kind of it, it's a pretty long article. I'll kind of give that that context, but it dives a lot into details about how we think about model interpretability, how, you know, where it comes up in our decision making and, you know, why we should be thinking about interpretability, maybe where we shouldn't be thinking about interpretability. I love certain of the statements like an interpretation may prove informative even without shedding light on a model's inner workings. Um, So there's a lot of great perspective here, I think, uh, about kind of stepping back from all of these discussions around model interpretability and looking at, at that field kind of and that idea as a whole. So I I definitely recommend reading through that, uh, especially in light of a lot of things coming out like GDPR, which Uh we talked about on another episode, which has connections to model interpretability. We all need to understand a little bit more about that. So I'd I'd recommend this this article. I'm looking forward to reading that after we uh, after we stop recording. That's my next thing. So my final article that I wanted to draw is is going back to to a, a topic we've alluded to a little bit, but it was really who wrote it that caught my attention. It was in the Atlantic, um, and it's called "How the Enlightenment Ends," and it is it's it's going down the dark path about um, you know the dangers of AI to humanity, and 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 I know there are lots of different perspectives on that from different people, but it was written by Henry Kissinger. And for those maybe maybe interesting, yeah. For from for those who may be uh, younger in our audience and, and aren't familiar with him, w- once upon a time Henry Kissinger, who's now a very old man, was one of the world's premier, f- you know, guys in terms of diplomacy. His expertise in foreign affairs and such uh, was just world renowned. And he was our Secretary of State, I believe, uh, back in the Nixon. He opened up China back in that day. And so, and he has uh, had a company ever since that was one of the top companies in the world in the space. And so, um, even though he is not a technologist by any stretch, he is a brilliant thinker. And um, he, when he was, uh, he kind of starts off the article saying that he was uh, almost about to walk out of this talk. They turned toward AI and he didn't have any particular interest, but he happened to catch the beginning of it and it started him thinking. And so he sat through the rest of that presentation and then he started going to many of the world's top AI luminaries and asking asking them their thoughts in different ways. And so he has has really landed personally in the same space as, as Elon Musk and others who are warning us uh, of the dangers in the long term of, uh, uh, you know, to humanity. And um, that he kind of walks through a process that really spans a historical narrative, starting with the Enlightenment, 
you know, roughly five, six hundred years ago and talks about how humans have developed technically through that period and where he thinks AI will go. And, and he ends in a very dark place. That's uh, a cautionary uh, note that basically says, let's be very careful uh, in terms of in the years ahead as new AI develops, uh, how we uh, implement that AI. And so there are many articles similar to this out there where people are warning us of such things. But um, it really, like I said, Henry Kissinger is one of the greats uh, of the 20th and early 21st century and and certainly a great living thinker today. And uh, and that, uh, it, it made me pause a little bit. And, and as someone who, who tends, myself, tends to celebrate AI uh, and, and all its possibilities going forward, um, I, I do give a little bit of, of thought to uh, Mr. Mr. Kissinger's uh, perspective there. Any thoughts, Daniel? Yeah, I definitely. Um, so it, it's. Uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you pointed out. I'm. I'm. I'm looking forward to reading it. I. I kind of wonder. Um, I mean, it's not. Isn't really the case with uh, Elon Musk necessarily, but I think there's this kind of balance between, you know, for the people that think that AI and the hype around AI, you know, that AI can currently do more than it can actually do, then people kind of either hype up AI to thinking you know, oh, it's going to do all these amazing things to uh, other people who kind of go the down the darker path, like you were saying, at least in my opinion, in, in reality, uh, I think we're at a point where our expectations of around AI need to be kind of moderated in a certain way. But I also appreciate, you know, the fact that um, we as practitioners of AI need to be understanding how the influencers in our world are thinking about AI and also, you know, how we as AI practitioners can better communicate and, you know, uh, impress upon them the proper expectations around what AI can do and the proper way to go about thinking about AI ethics and where we should, you know, um, obviously that that is a important thing that I don't want to shy away from, but I think it also has to be kind of wrapped in this cloak of proper expectations. Um, so yeah, it's it's very, very interesting. I, I agree. I think the, uh, in general, I think I would agree that the the current state of, of deep learning and AI technologies uh, today is, is uh, doesn't feel very threatening to me. Um, uh, you know, there, there are certainly use cases. We talked about the Chinese government uh, identifying people and stuff, but it definitely doesn't have that. Uh, I leave a tiny door open in the back of my mind to uh, some future development in AI, you know, that's beyond where we're at today, well beyond where we're at today, you know, in, in terms of um, what what could happen decades or or even centuries down the road but i think it's uh we get we get far outside of the practical when we when we get to that and so i i absolutely agree with you that the reality check is is pretty important what's what's possible today and in the in the foreseeable future yeah and i think yeah the the human element here is really important i think i was just having a conversation with someone on uh on a slack channel about does you know ai have morality and you know my my thought around that was 
I mean, similar to other tech, I think the morality of the creators is what infuses any any sort of morality in the in the technology in the in the same way that, you know, certain technology can be used for good to automate emails and all of those things, but it also could be maybe used for bad and like phishing scams and and all of those things. And that really comes back to the root in the creators of that technology. And so I think we need we need people thinking about this and pushing us, so we also need, you know, people with a head, you know, looking towards the ethics of what we're doing as the creators of AI, which is especially a technology which has kind of a, a more subtle infusion of the creator's morality and fairness and bias into it than maybe other technologies. I agree. And I, I guess yeah. I'll finish by saying, uh, as, we, uh, as we've touched on ethics again, in an upcoming episode, we will have an ethics expert uh, relating to AI on. And so that will be a good surprise coming. That's a, a much anticipated episode. We've already had a lot of a lot of requests for that. So now we'll kind of go. Th that was the the news that that caught our attention over the week. Um, definitely let us know in our in our Slack channel. Um, you can join us, you know, on uh, changelog.com/community and um, join our Slack channel and. Uh, and let us know what news articles you're finding interesting from the week related to AI. But before we finish off, as always, we, we want to give you a few learning resources to help level up your skills and in practical AI and maybe help you be more productive as practitioners of, of AI or maybe learners or students of, of AI. One of those that I found this week was uh, this article called Fast Flexible Pandas, I think is the is the title. Sorry, Fast, Flexible, Easy and Intuitive, which are which are all good things, I guess. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And uh, I know. So I've been guilty in the past of uh, maybe slamming pandas on a few occasions. Um, I definitely think that. And just just to clarify, we're talk we're not talking about the animals, right? We're not, uh, correct. We're talking this is about, the Python package called uh, Pandas, which is a kind of data munging and manipulation package uh, that that kind of organizes data into what's called data frames and and series and other things. I just wanted to save uh, you the hate mail on that. Sorry. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I have I have nothing wrong with pandas in general, and actually I have nothing uh, nothing bad to say about the pandas package either. It's it's amazing, and um, I use it most days i think I, I love it i think i've i've been guilty a little bit in the past of probably using poor pandas skills or patterns and blaming the slowness or the lack of good results um, in terms of performance on pandas when it's actually been my kind of uh poor use of pandas i think this this uh article lays out some good patterns that you can use when you're selecting data, when you're looping through data, um, when you're working with date time data and other things, uh, I still don't think pandas is, you know, obviously right for every single use case, but I think it it's incredibly powerful, just an amazing project. And I think this gives you some of uh, some good patterns to use with it. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, I ran into an article this week that was on Medium, actually, um, called An Introduction to Gradient Descent Algorithm. Uh, and it was by uh, a lady named Sarah Iris Garcia. 
and we'll put a link in the show notes to her to her post and uh, she basically <clears throat> talks about gradient descent which finds parameters that minimize the cost function uh, which is the error in prediction and she kind of takes you through uh, what a gradient is and then talks about the learning rate associated with that gradient and gives you you know the talks about what big learning rates versus small learning rates do and what the implications of those are in your training and then continues on with a working example and talks about the various steps in gradient descent and some of the variants to that and so uh, the reason that this drew me in was uh, gradient descent is really one of the very first things you learn when you step into the world of deep learning. And if you're new to the field, you you may not be familiar with it and you may need to ramp up. And those some of us uh, who have been in this for a while kind of take it for granted. But it's it's one of those fundamental building blocks that you need to to learn in those early days. And so I wanted to put this article out there so that people could get a start here, um, especially considering uh, how well she puts the introduction together. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great resource. And uh, the last one that, that I have, I think you have one more, but uh, I found this link to uh, a newly released kind of package of eBooks, um, but one, one eBook particularly focused on Vim. Um, so the editor Vim, uh, which you can, if you're in a terminal on uh, some Unix machine or um uh, you can can use Vim to edit various code or text documents or whatever it might be. I actually use Vim as my primary code editor, and I definitely feel like I have not mastered Vim. I know a lot of people give Vim a uh, a hard time because it's you get into it and then you can't figure out how to get out of it or whatever other jokes you might have about Vim. But I think it's useful for everybody to learn a little bit about Vim because maybe you are SSHing into a machine where you're running a cron job or whatever it might be. And you, you want to be able to edit some some script or some uh, uh, something on the machine in a, uh, in a quick way right there in the terminal. Um, Vim is a great choice for that, even if you don't use it as your primary editor like like I do, um, which you should. But um, <laughs> but uh, I won't get into that. But I think this is definitely for people that maybe struggle uh, with knowing how to kind of when they're SSHing into a machine and they want to modify stuff. This is a this is a great resource to kind of level up your skills on that front and be a little bit more effective uh in, in that way so i wish that i was using vim as my primary editor and for years you can i keep trying to and then <laughs> and then of course i i run into a situation where i get frustrated and i roll back to one of the other editors out there that uh, but i keep trying and certainly when i ssh in uh it's what i'm using so so maybe this is my path forward daniel yeah, well, I've definitely got a ways to go. I know that some Vim masters probably cringe when they watch me like scroll through various parts of the document or something in a non-efficient way. So yeah. um, I'm I'm looking forward to learning a few things here too. Okay, well, I'm, I'm definitely going to dive into that one. So the last thing that I am introducing today uh, for learning is uh, O'Reilly has an article called Introducing Capsule Networks. And... Um, to, to give people uh, a, a quick background is uh, capsule networks uh, are, an, uh, for, I guess, an invention by uh, Jeffrey Hinton, who is one of the luminaries in the deep learning world. Um, and it is what you might think of as an alternative to convolutional neural networks. And there's a, it's a really hot topic right now. Uh, there's a lot of interest in it. But uh, what 
what this article does is it kind of takes you through CAPS nets, which is what they're called for short, and it differentiates them with convolutional neural networks and talks about um, some of the different ways and places that you might use them. It talks about the differences in architecture and approach, um, strengths and weaknesses, and, and kind of gives you a thorough introduction so that if this feels like it's one of the architectures that you're interested in for your use case, that you can then uh, take it forward and learn more about it. But I thought it was a, I, I've been looking for a really good intro to this. Uh, and I thought this was a, a good way of, of dipping your toe into it and deciding if it's something that you want to do further. Any thoughts on uh, capsule nets? Awesome. Yeah. I, I, my only comment is that I haven't gone through the article yet, but it looks like there's some really great figures in there to kind of help visually uh, walk through some of the concepts. So I think if you're interested in the subject, it might be might be a good uh, good starting place to uh, jump off from. Um, so definitely take a look at that. Um, great. Well, I, I appreciated I appreciated uh, all all the stuff you found this week, Chris. As always, it's an exciting week in AI, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you next week uh, to interview uh, Mike Dugimbe. Um So we'll we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Daniel. Have a good one, and talk to everyone later. All right, thank you for tuning into this episode of Practically AI. If you enjoyed this show, do us a favor, go on iTunes, give us a rating, go in your podcast app and favorite it. If you are on Twitter or a social network, share a link with a friend. Whatever you gotta do, share the show with a friend if you enjoyed it. And bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And we catch our errors before our users do here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. This episode is hosted by Daniel Whitenack and Chris Benson. Editing is done by Tim Smith. The music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelog.com. When you go there, pop in your email address, get our weekly email keeping you up to date with the news and podcasts for developers in your inbox every single week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.